Good morning, everyone. How was your week? Good. Mine was busy, but good. We still had a good good week. Uh, the kids tired from school. I can only imagine what the teachers are feeling uh, with things going on right now and all sorts of craziness. I saw one thread on Twitter that I found hilarious this week. It was a, home, a mom who's home doing the virtual schooling thing with her kids and all of the mayhem that ensued. Apparently, uh, the teacher was on and the teacher's feed went down. And when the teacher's feed went down, it made the Zoom meeting in the name of one of the kids. And so the kid was running the meeting and the kid was talking about all kinds of nonsense and the other kids jumped on and one kid dumped all of his, it was just, it was hilarious. And I thought, wow, what a, what a good example of what people are living with right now. But we, you know, we adapt, don't we? We adapt and we keep going and hopefully we can get back to somewhat normal here soon. Um, praying for vaccines and other things to help us get over the hump. But uh, we're glad you're here today where we can forget all that and worship the Lord. Amen? And uh, we just want to welcome you here, and we're glad that you're here today. And I hope that you're glad that you came today as well as we worship and uh, open God's Word together. We've been in the middle of a sermon series, or we are in the middle of a sermon series called Reality Check. How many of you remember that? All right, good. Sometimes, you know, you preach a sermon and, you know, you ask two days later what the sermon was about, and people go, I can't remember. So hopefully these have been somewhat memorable. And uh, last week, if you remember, what was our theme? What was our topic? We talked about wisdom. Isn't that true? Talked about wisdom. And does anybody... Remember the biblical definition of wisdom. What's that? Yes, the biblical definition of wisdom. Jesus, that's exactly right. Paul comes right out and says it in his letters. Jesus is God's wisdom. Remind me how that's true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you, because this is important stuff. How is Jesus God's wisdom? He is His Word, isn't He? What we said was that Jesus is the embodiment, the flesh and blood example of all of God's intentions for life. What was creation about? Look to Jesus. What is life about? Look to Jesus. What are... What are Uh, What is God's will about? Look to Jesus. What is God's character about and how He relates to us? Look to Jesus. Isn't that... You're remembering this now? Is God wise? Is God just? Is God righteous? Look to Jesus. Because we said God the Father is a high and holy, infinite God. He's spirit. He's fire. He's beyond the comprehension of, of, of any created being. Remember that discussion? And so He gave us a physical representation of Himself so that we can understand and have our questions answered. Amen? So do we want to know if God is wise? Yes, we do. Look to Jesus to be sure. We want to know what God's trying to get across to us and what the purpose of life is. 
Look to Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God. We also said that we often love to apply our own wisdom to our lives, don't we? And as we try to relate to this world, it seems to make sense. It's what's most convenient. It's what's most comfortable. But as we read, Paul clearly told us the ways of God, the wisdom of God, has done what to our way of thinking? Made it foolishness. That's exactly right. The way God intends things and the way God does things is not the way we do it. It's not the way we think because He stands for a different way of life. And that's a good thing, amen? I want God's way of life, don't you? Jesus is the embodiment of all of life and God's intention for creation. And we sort of summarized all this in saying it's not just enough to say what would Jesus do we need, to do, we need to start saying, what would Jesus think? So that we can have a biblical worldview and as a Christian begin to sort things through appropriately. Not according to the God that we created that fits inside our head. Because that God looks like you and me in my head. You understanding what I'm saying there? We need to know God as He truly is. Today, we want to dive into a topic that's related, and you'll see how it relates here in just a minute. Is God judgmental? Reality check. Is God judgmental? Uh, Unfortunately, Christians throughout all of the ages have sent people the message that yes, God is judgmental. Now, on the surface, the idea of being judgmental it's, it's an overused term today to say, don't judge me. Have you heard that? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Well, that's not actually what people mean when they say don't judge me. They just don't know what they're saying. Because we use judgment all the time, don't we? I use judgment to decide what shirt to put on today. No one would say that they have to live their life exactly the way that I would live mine or you would live yours. We're free to make good decisions and use judgment as to whether we think that that's appropriate or a good thing or how to live or safe, whatever. Are you following me? So it's not about judgment. The the, the term, the phrase is wrong. It's not about judgment. What people are actually, what they mean when they say don't judge me is they're saying don't condemn me. Don't condemn me because you don't know me. You haven't lived my life. You haven't experienced what I've experienced. You don't know why I am the way that I am. So don't condemn me. That's what people are saying. And so, no one wants to be condemned and and that's a biblical ideology. And we as human beings don't have a right to condemn anyone, do we? God eventually has that right. But we don't. Ever. You know, the Bible never gives you and me permission to say who goes to heaven and who doesn't. It never gives us the permission to to say who does and who doesn't. And, uh, you know, we always hear that at funerals. You know, people are convinced that this person is, or there's a wonder whether... 
I'm glad that I don't have to make that determination. I'm glad that that's up to God, aren't you? I don't get to decide, and I don't have to decide, who goes to heaven and who doesn't. And so, this overused term, God, or don't judge me, really is, don't condemn me. But the question we have to ask ourselves is because we see God making determinations and we see God at times condemning humans in Scripture. So is God a judgmental God? In other words, is God up there in heaven sitting back on His throne and uh, just you know, throwing lightning bolts at humans when they don't please Him or when they don't obey Him? Is, he, is His desire to destroy anybody who doesn't agree with Him or follow exactly what He says? Is God judgmental? And that's sort of the mental picture that most people have when they think about God's judgment. And, uh, you know, some Christians believe that God burns people throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity in a literal hell. There are Christians that believe that. Can I give you a little side note on that for a second that I think a lot of people have never thought about? Can I do that? Can I have your permission to do that? Okay. If you believe that hell burns forever and God tortures people are tortured there throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, people that believe that believe that whom, who, who, whom, I don't know, who is in charge of hell. The devil's in charge of hell, right? And it's his job to torture people, correct? That's what, that, that's what the belief is. Now let me ask you this question. Who sends people to hell? God sends people to hell. In His judgment. Isn't that true? Okay, so what you've just told me is that God and the devil are partners to torture people. But that, that's, if, if the devil's in charge of hell, and the devil's job is to burn and torture people throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, and God's the judge, and God sends people to hell, that means that God has partnered with the devil to torture people. See, there's a lot of things about what Christians believe that don't make any sense. We've just accepted things at face value and not really thought them through. And there's a, a lot of things about that doctrine that just don't make sense. And that's a whole other sermon. But God being judgmental, and we Adventists who don't believe in a literal hell, we believe in hellfire and we believe that there is punishment at the end. Don't get me wrong. But we as Adventists have made this earth a hell in the way that we look at the judgment. Uh-oh. You can tell what's coming. See, we have taken the attitude and the posture at times that we know what you need to do and how you need to live in order to get to heaven and be saved. And because we believe that we're living in earth's judgment hour, and there's good reason to believe that that's true. I mean, if you believe that Jesus is coming soon, and uh, you know that He knows who He's coming for when He comes, obviously, He's already judged before He comes. Doesn't that make sense? Okay, that makes just good, good sense. But we, we think that we have this ability to be able to determine who's saved and who's lost, and so, because we're living in earth's judgment hour, some of us have taken upon ourselves 
the job of playing judge for God and determined who's worthy and who isn't. It got quiet in here. And we tiptoe on territory or take a big leap into territory that we were never supposed to go. So much so that sometimes we have pushed people out of the church that we believe don't fit that description of who gets saved and who is lost or who is saved. And we believe that only the saved are allowed in here. If you believe that or if you have ever done that, you better check yourself. Now, there are certain circumstances that the Bible tells us that we're not judging whether you're saved or whether you're lost, but you know there are things that people do sometimes where we say this is not a healthy situation for you to be here anymore. But here's the thing about it. You only are, Scripture only tells us not to associate with those people in order to save those people. It's called redemptive discipline. You hearing me? Scripture teaches that the only reason why you would say this is not a good fit for you at this time is because God is trying to get through to them to save them. At no time or any point are people supposed to be pushed out to preserve what we prefer. We can't tiptoe or journey into the area where God never gave us the right. Because do you know what we end up doing? We end up showing people a side of God that does not exist. We need to better understand what the judgment is all about so that we don't exercise judgment or show people a side of God's judgment that is actually not, it doesn't exist. So what is God's judgment all about? Is God judgmental? Let's dig into this. Let's go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, and uh, we're going to read from verse 6. And if you've been to many Adventist churches, this is a very common passage of Scripture that the preacher preaches from. Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. This is called the three angels' message. So uh, whether these are literal angels or symbolic angels, they have a message for the world just before Jesus comes. Is it possible that we're part of this message? Because Jesus is coming soon. So let's read the message of this first angel and pick it apart a little bit. So verse 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with the everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Remember my first sermon? There was a dispersion of God's people all over the face of the earth. Remember that? And what is it that brings us back together as one family? Then I saw another angel flying directly over heaven. 
with an everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. What is it? It's the gospel. It's the faith of Abraham, remember? Abraham's family brought back together. It overturns what happened at the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of the nations. It's the faith of Abraham. It's the gospel. Verse 6, it goes on and says, Every nation, language, tongue, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His what? Judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Okay, so is this angel saying, Get your stuff together. Destruction's coming. Is that what the angel's saying? This is how we preach judgment, though. Get your stuff together because destruction's coming. I want to make the case to you today that the judgment is not about destruction. That's what the world is about. The judgment is about the preservation of life and creation. We talk about the judgment. People think about the judgment. And they blame the apocalypse on God. We're going to go into Matthew 24 today, and I'm going to ask you the question, how many of those signs of the end are God actually responsible for? When you look around this world right now, when you survey the landscape of what's happening in the current events, I want to ask you this question. How much of this mess is God responsible for? Probably none of it. But yet you get the Pat Robertsons and the, the other preachers, the Falwells and others over the years, who have said, well, this natural disaster, this, this thing that's happened is God's judgment against sin or whatever. My friends, the judgment of God, the discipline of God has never at any time been simply to destroy and destruct things and tear things apart. It's always been for the purpose of the preservation of life. And we see it right here in this verse. Revelation 14, beginning in verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the mid directly overhead with an everlasting gospel to proclaim. So here's the angel with a message just before Jesus comes. And what is that message? It's the gospel. And what is the message of the gospel? What is the end of the gospel? What is the purpose of preaching the gospel? Is it to destroy life or is it to save life? then why do we preach the judgment as if it's all about destruction and exclusion? There's something about the judgment that has to do with life and bringing God's people together, the, the purpose of the Gospel. Because the, the thought even goes on here in Revelation chapter 14. It says, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Oh! The hour of His judgment has come. Oh no, everybody run in fear, right? That's what people think of. Now, does the angel go on to say, for the hour of His judgment has come and you all are going to suffer? You all are going to be sorry for what you've done? You better get your church right or you're all going to go to hell? Is that what the angel says? 
It says, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. What is the angel reminding us of? Creation. Life. Isn't that true? So the message of this first angel, my friends, is not of coming destruction. The message of the first angel is God is trying to preserve and restore life. Now, the next two angels do have messages of Babylon and the the mark of the beast and things like this, but let me ask you this question. Is Babylon because of God? Is religious confusion, is political confusion, is all of these things that lead us astray, are those because of God? Yes or no? So do they represent life or death? The Lord is saying, come out of death. Come out of death. Come out of confusion because it's death. Come out of Uh, false thinking because it's death. The Lord's call to judgment is not turn or burn. It's come and live. And it also, this, this angel, this first angel, reminds us that God is the Creator. And if the message of the Gospel is not turn or burn, it's come and live, it makes perfect sense that the angel would remind us of creation. Isn't that true? The angel also tells us that God has a right to judge. You see that? And worship Him. The hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth and the springs of water. Which, by the way, the weekly Sabbath is a reminder of. So there's an aspect of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little sidebar here because it's important. The message of the Sabbath isn't keep the Sabbath or else. The message of the Sabbath is keep the Sabbath because it's part of life. And so here, the, the first angel says worship God because He's the Creator and He has the right to judge because He is the Creator. You ever try to put together Ikea furniture? Nothing will test your sanctification like Ikea furniture. Because it's not, it's not that it looks hard, and it's not that it is hard, it's just the way that they do their instructions, there's no words, it's all pictures. And if you miss a little peg here, or a little screw there because you didn't look exactly super specifically. Because all I'm thinking of when I'm putting together IKEA furniture is, is it, am I done yet? And so, you know, sometimes you just move to the next step because you missed, uh, you, you know, you missed a screw or you missed one of those weird things that, you know, you put the screw in and turn the, the nut and it tight. You might miss some of that stuff. And if you miss that stuff and go two steps ahead, you realize you've got to tear it back apart. And often with Ikea furniture, it's made to be put together and not taken apart. So when you take it apart, what happens? It breaks. You know what this world is like? This world is like a bunch of people trying to assemble uh, Ikea furniture without instructions. 
This world is like a bunch of, a bunch of Ikea furniture that people have, have assembled without consulting the one who made it. And then as we live in this messed up world, we say to God, don't judge me. And the Lord's saying, what do you mean don't judge you? Look at your bookshelf. It doesn't even hold books. I'm fine the way I am, Lord. If you say so. It's like that old Dr. Phil saying, how's that working out for you? And all God's saying in His judgment is, would you like your bookshelf to actually hold books? Would you actually like to live the way that I designed you to live? You see, if you want to know how to live, go ask the one who made life. If you want to know what happiness is, go ask the one who designed happiness. If you want to know what love is, don't try to figure it out on your own. Ask the one who made love. That's what the judgment is for. God's saying, look, obey me, not because it's a turn or burn situation. It's, do you really want to live? Friends, did you know that we're not even human? You and I are not humans. Now, I know some of you think, yeah, I know. Uncle so-and-so, he is definitely not human. You know, you've all got that uncle at the family reunions. You know, and if you can't think of anybody, it's probably you. You know what I'm saying? What's he talking about? Well, you know that uncle, that weird uncle, that weird family member. You know, he can swim in your pool, but he can't come in your house. You know, you know what I'm saying? But the thing about it is, we're not even human. God designed, he made human beings. Isn't that true? Sin came, marred the image of God, changed who we are, so we don't even know how to be human. We're something else. And then we say to God, I know what love is. I know what happiness is. I know how to run my life. I know who to vote for. I know who to... What do we... And the Lord's saying, you're a mess. So God is not judgmental in the way that we think. He doesn't look at our Ikea furniture and say, oh, I hate you for putting together your Ikea furniture like that. He says, you know, if you, if you would let me help you put that together, you could actually sleep on that bed. And sleep is good for you. God is judgmental, not in a turn or burn kind of situation. It's a look and live kind of situation. It's, do you want to know what happiness is? Do you, know, want, do you know, want to know what joy is? Do you want to really experience love? Do you really want to experience sexuality? Do you really want to live? The judgment in its most simple form is this. Even a child can understand that. Here's what the judgment is all about. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Life 
or death. That's it. The judgment is about life or death. Who chooses to live and live according to the way that the Creator designed? And, and, and realizing that, you know, we can, we can never get ourselves there, but that's what I long for. That's what I desire. I desire life like Jesus. I desire to live with true happiness and with true freedom and with true joy and with true love. That's what I want. So I say, Lord, give me that life. And when you're going through that process, by the way, what happens is God leads you to the foot of the cross and says, okay, you've got to make a choice now. I'm showing you how this world ends. You know, Jesus showed us what the world, how the world ends by hanging on a cross. The systems of this world lead to death. Everything about it leads to death. And if you can't recognize that today, you're not paying any attention. You following me? What have we done to our planet? Is that leading to life or death? Death. Even if you're, you know, you don't believe in the global warming thing, that's not what I'm getting into. I mean, look at our landfills. Look at our oceans and what's, what washes up on our beaches every day. Our very way of life is killing the planet we live on. It's not a political thing. It's just a true thing. Our very way of life is killing the planet that we live on. We're killing ourselves with the food we eat. <laughs> but it's just kind of, what else can you do? Because even the healthiest stuff sometimes isn't even all that healthy these days. The trend with life as, as, as man has put it together, the trend is extremely downward. Here's a perfect example. You know what caused the most recent wildfire in California? Where they're just being devastated? A stupid gender reveal ceremony. Are you kidding me? They used pyrotechnics to show, oh, we're having a boy, or oh, we're having a girl. And now all these people's homes are being burnt. But that's the world we're living in. I want to show you a text. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. 1 John chapter 2. And this is going to bring a lot of things to light and help us understand things quite clearly, I think. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. 1 John 2, 15. When you're there, say amen. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. The world is what? Passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, some of you, and I remember listening to passages like this when I was younger, and hearing that term, world. And remembering all those well-meaning saints over the years who said, 
you know, we don't want our youth living a worldly life, which meant I can't have any fun. That's what I thought of it anyway. Don't be living a worldly life. Can I be real with you for a second? Often what we as church members think of as a worldly life is the stuff that we're not comfortable with in our own selves. So it fits our definition of worldly and may not necessarily be a what-would-Jesus-think kind of situation. So be very careful what you call worldly. Because this term worldly actually means something that you don't expect. This term worldly, the word world here in this passage is the, the, ter- is the word cosmos in the original language. What word is it? Cosmos. And the definition, one of the working definitions, or the first definitions or uses of the word of cosmos is what we would say the current arrangement. Or in other words, how things work here. Okay, so let's read this with that in mind, and it becomes really clear what, it, what, what John is saying. Do not love how things work here or things in the current arrangement. It goes on, if anyone loves the current arrangement, the love of the Father is not in him. Doesn't this make perfect sense? If you love how things work here on this earth, you obviously have never seen Jesus. Obviously, you don't long for God's kingdom. If you like the kingdoms of the world, you can't possibly love the kingdom of God. Because the kingdoms of this world don't resemble the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world are designed around human wisdom. Which is why, my friends, arguing and making enemies over your politics is satanic. Because earthly politics, earthly governments are designed by humans. And humans think according to the current arrangement. You hearing what I'm saying here? Humans think according to the current arrangement. So what our politics does is say, what makes me comfortable in the way this world works? Who is going to stand up for my rights in the way that I'm comfortable here? And you know what it is? It's not, it's not heavenly wisdom. It's earthly wisdom. And we, make, we argue, and we make enemies, and the Lord's saying, what are you doing? You're not about my kingdom when you're arguing about earthly kingdoms. When you're making enemies over earthly kingdoms. It shows more of a love for this world than it does for the kingdom of God. We have to be extremely careful. So don't love the current arrangement. And then he goes on to talk about how you identify the current arrangement. Verse 16. For all that is in how this world works. For all that is in how this world works. The desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes. And the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the current arrangement. Doesn't that make perfect sense? 
How are earthly governments designed? Why do we trend toward one party or the other? Because it tinges our lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It sustains our worldview and what's comfortable for us. You hearing me? And this is not just a political thing. How our businesses are set up. Everything about life here as human beings are designed around sustaining how this world works. Step on the little guy to get ahead. Right? Cut corners so that you can save money over here to make more profit over there. And I'm not saying necessarily some of these things are are bad in the context of this world. I'm just saying this is how our world works. Everything about our human world is designed around the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Are you with me? That's how our world works. And so John is saying, look, don't love anything about how this world works. You hearing me? Don't love anything about how this world works because it's filled with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because how this world works has been designed by human beings. And you know, it's interesting. You know, you know why it is that people have a hard time following some of God's instructions? Do you know why that is? Because we've gotten to the point in our society where we say something is only as good as the benefit it will have for me in my life. So in other words, if following God is, or a commandment or an instruction is beneficial to my situation, then I love it. If it isn't, then it's obviously not from God. You with me? Am I getting too deep? Am I putting you to sleep today? So, let's keep reading. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the current arrangement, for all that is in how this world works, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from humans. And the current arrangement, the way things work, is passing away. What's another word for passing away? Dying. Let me ask you this question. Are all the structures of our world dying before our eyes, yes or no? Are our systems dying, yes or no? Is there anyone that actually believes that no matter who you vote for in this next election, that that person is going to be able to fix this mess that we're in? It's too complicated. It's too complex. There are too many problems. Now, I'm not saying don't vote or don't have your own personal opinions about politics, but you have got to know that this kingdom isn't God's kingdom because it's man-made. God may have had a hand in starting it, 
But look what it is now. You with me? Look what it is now. Are we really willing to shout and yell and make enemies, post signs in our yard, all these other things for the current arrangement? It's not worth it. And not just that. It's every aspect of our lives. It's every aspect of our lives. We are hardwired to be comfortable with the life that humans have designed on this earth. We are comfortable, we are designed to to be comfortable with the current arrangement. We're conditioned for it, aren't we? That's why the Lord says, look to Jesus to find who He is, to know what it's all about. Look to Jesus and live. Because the world is falling apart at the seams, but God says, I'm trying to save life. I'm trying to save what's left of my creation. And that's what the judgment is about. Life or death. God is trying to sustain life while life is dying, while the current, the current arrangement is dying all around us. And what do we as human beings try to do in our spiritual lives, in our individual lives, in our political lives, in our, our customs of, of life? What do we try to do? We try to sustain the current arrangement. Don't we? We try to keep going what man has made. And the Lord's saying, wake up. You're not going to be able to do that. Look to me and live. And that's what God's judgment is all about, my friends. It's about living. It's about life the way He designed it. He, he, wants, to be, he wants us to obey Him, not because He will destroy us or else. God wants us to obey Him because He knows that that's where we will actually really be able to live and be happy and love and have joy and peace. Now, don't get me wrong. When you live counter to the current arrangement, the current arrangement is going to kick back. So it's not going to all be rosy experience. But there's a peace that passes all understanding. You with me? I want to further highlight this for you. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. So this is, these are the temptations of Jesus. Remember what we just read? All that is in the current arrangement, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Remember that? I want you to see the temptations of Jesus and what He faced. Does Jesus have to, did Jesus face the same kind of arrangement that we face? In other words, did He overcome the same kinds of temptations that people that are living in the last days have to overcome? He did. Let's go to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. So this is the temptation of Jesus. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So before His public ministry starts, He goes to live against the temptations. He goes to stand against the temptations of the current arrangement of the world. He needs to be able to relate to us, doesn't He? For 40 days He was in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil, and He ate nothing. So He completely weakened himself physically. And I believe he had to do that for a, a number of reasons, but one, uh, he, needed to be, he needed to be able to relate to the person in their weakest state. I mean, 
40 days without food is about as long as you can go and still live. I think it is as long as you can go and still live. And so here he is. He's completely weakened in his most weakened state. And uh, the devil comes in verse 3 and it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now remember First John, all that is in the current arrangement, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Which temptation is this? According to First John and this temptation, what, what, what is it? The lust of the flesh. He needed to eat, didn't he? Now what would the current arrangement tell you? You're hungry, you better eat. Right? Yeah, you better eat or you'll die. And then Jesus went and he built a, you know, a government around giving bread to hungry people, right? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's what humans would do. He creates systems to make sure... You know, that, that's what humans do. But remember, the ways of God make the ways of man foolishness. So what does Jesus say? No, I'm not going to eat. Because man doesn't live by bread alone. What makes sense to us and what we can easily justify according to our thinking that keeps us in the current arrangement, Jesus says, no. There's something different out there. There's a different way to think and a different way to live. Next, he goes on and he says, um, and, and the devil took him up to and showed him uh, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This must have been the most difficult one, I think. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it was delivered to me, and I will give it to you. You know who's in charge of this world? He just said it right there. The devil's in charge of this world. The current arrangements we made and gave to Satan, and guess who runs it? The devil runs it. And here he says to Jesus, look, hey, you see all this? I'll give it to you. Now, why was this a huge temptation for Jesus? Tell me. Oh, that's not why. That's not because it was his first. He didn't have to suffer and die. The devil was offering him the world and everything in it and all the people. And he didn't have to go through with the cross. Now, in our thinking, we go, okay, one plus one equals two, and this is the easier way to get to two, isn't it? What he would have had to do, or what, it, what would it have led to, though? So if Jesus had, had bowed down, worshipped the devil here, and the devil gave him everything, would Jesus have been upending and uprooting the current arrangement, or would he have been submitting to the current arrangement? submitting to the current arrangement. And so even though Jesus was in charge of the world, what would the result have been? Death. We still would have died even though Jesus was in charge. Think about that. And that's the lust of the eyes. You know what seems to make sense? Look what I can see. And then the third temptation is He takes him up on the... The pinnacle of the temple, remember that? And he says, throw yourself down from here. And I, I, I know why the devil took him there next. It makes perfect sense. Because now uh, the devil has heard Jesus commit. Commit to being the Messiah. 
Commit to being God's sacrifice. He's heard that, and now what does he tempt him with? Are you really sure that you're the Messiah? Are you really sure that you have God's blessing? You know, I would want God to prove it if that were true for me. Wouldn't you? I would. Lord, if I'm going to go through with all this, and I'm going to obey you to the point where I'm going to give up my life, you got to show me, you got to prove to me that that's what your will is. And that's what the devil tempts Jesus with. Make God prove it. What does Jesus say? He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, there is a thinking that is not according to the world's thinking. There is a, there's a term, and I, I don't want to get myself in trouble by a, my, one of my favorite authors. There is a deeper magic, he says. There is a, a power that's deeper there is a reality that's deeper. There is a truth that is deeper than what we see and experience here. And the depth of that truth leads us up to the kingdom of God. Knowing that there is a foundation that is at the rock bottom of who we are and why God made us, and we're sure of it. We're convinced of it. Because of flesh and blood, Jesus Christ, our Savior. I know it's true because Him going to the cross totally tore apart the thinking of the world. It made it foolishness. I don't have to guess as to whether it's true that there's a kingdom of God and where God sits on the throne and all He's ever wanted is to be with me. I don't have to wonder if in that kingdom it's all about selflessness and love and goodness and there will be no more suffering or sorrow or crying or pain. I don't have to be nervous about the fact of whether God loves me or He's trying to condemn me. I can be sure because of Jesus. And so the Lord says, don't love what you see and how it works. Don't fall prey to thinking that earthly governments are going to save you. Don't fall prey to finding safety in the arms of other humans and, and, and all of the things that our, our flesh lusts for and our eyes lust for. That's how the world is set up. But He says, look around. And now maybe more than ever, all we have to do is look around and say, it's all falling apart. And it's not because of God. And this is where we're going to land this plane. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. This is a very common sermon you might hear on any given Sabbath on Many Christian churches, Sunday or Saturday, especially in Adventist churches, it's the signs of the times. Now, I want you to go through with me because most people think of the judgment of God as God's anger and wrath and the conditions of this world right now are because of something that He did. I want you to go through with me in Matthew chapter 24 and I want you to read with me 
how many of these things God is actually responsible for? Matthew chapter 24. So in Matthew 24, we see in verses 3 and 5, what? 3 through 5. Verse 4, really. Jesus answered them saying, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray. So what does he warn against? What, what's going to be one of the conditions of this dying world? False Christ, false teachers, false prophets. Isn't that true? And, uh, you know, you can really look at this phrase in a couple ways. One will be people, people saying that they are the Christ, but there will also be other false teachers that say that Jesus is the Christ but still be a false teacher. So is God responsible for false teachers, yes or no? Nope. Verse uh, 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. This must take place. The end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will, kingdom against kingdom. Are, are, is God responsible for those things? No, God's not responsible for those things. Um, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. God responsible for those things, yes or no? No, I mean, in the end, God talks about some earthquakes and things that are a result. But I, I want to submit to you that the signs in nature are because when sin entered this world, creation automatically had an expiration date. That makes sense, doesn't it? God designed it to last forever. When sin entered and the current arrangement started, nature automatically had an expiration date on it. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by millions for my name's sake. Did God do that? And many will fall by the way and betray one another and hate one another. Does that sound like our day, yes or no? Is God responsible for that? And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Is God responsible for that? Does that sound like our day? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, something happens in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. A testimony to what? Life. You're right, it's Christ, yes, but it's life. All those other signs are signs of death, aren't they? That the creation is dying around us. The world is falling apart. And the only sign of the times that God is responsible for is the gospel of the kingdom going to the ends of the earth. Because the judgment of God isn't about turn or burn. The judgment of God is come to me and live. Come to me and live. Just like the serpent on, the, on the, the bronze serpent with the Israelites. Isn't that true? That was the phrase that Moses used for the people. Look and live. My friends, God, God doesn't want you to die. He takes no pleasure in condemning anyone. But the current arrangement has taught us to condemn people. 
It's taught us to push people away. It's taught us to, to buy into the current arrangement, the way this world works. And this gospel of the kingdom is about life, my friends. So let me ask you this question. Is God judgmental, yes or no? <laughs> he is. He is. But he's judgmental to the degree where he says, I want you to live. And I don't want any bit of death in your life. You hearing me? God is not judgmental and says, if you don't obey me, then I hate you. That's not God. And God forbid if we have ever sent that message to anyone, because that is not the message. God's judgmental only because He wants us to experience abundant life. I mean, it's even in the most famous verses that we have. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin, the end of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. It's all throughout the Bible. The judgment simply is about life or death. That's it. And God wants everyone to live. Not because by living we will obey, but because by living and living the way that the IKEA instructions have for us, living that way is the way that comes with abundant joy so we can be happy and fulfilled and joyful and at peace and live the way that He designed us to live. Don't you want to live that way? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being judgmental and critical. I'm tired of dying in this world. I'm tired of the arguments and the fights and the politics. I'm tired of people being oppressed and put down. I mean, to deny this stuff exists, my friends, is to try to fight for an arrangement that's comfortable for us. But my friends, if you're paying attention to what's happening in this world, of course people are going to be crying out because they're oppressed. Of course people are going to be crying out in every area of this globe because the world is dying. And Jesus says, come to Me and live. And when He comes in the clouds of glory... You know who he's going to be looking for? People that want life and life abundantly. Not people that work so hard to please him that finally he's okay with sort of the idea of living with them forever. That's the message we've sent as Adventists. Well, I guess kind of you passed the test, so I guess I'll have to let you into heaven. He's looking for people who want to live. Do you want to live today? Are you tired of dying and all the death that's all around us? Do you want to live? Here's the good news. We can experience that life right now. We don't have to wait till we get there. We just have to decide on our own because God won't, get, he won't force it into our lives. We have to decide on our own. Are we willing to say, I'm done with the current arrangement? 
I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And I'm going to live. And I'm going to love. And I'm going I'm to live with the knowledge that God's kingdom is true because I know Jesus lives. And I know what life is for because of him. Are you done with the current arrangement? Who wants to just raise their hand today and say, I'm done. That's it. No more. I'm going to live. I'm going to live and have life abundantly. Amen. We're going to enjoy a closing song from Nancy.